Always, if you're single, but just better watch yourself. We have people watching you. We do. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for what you've already done in this place, and we thank you for um, uh, the opportunity that we have to gather together as family. God, we ask that you would uh, speak to us through your Holy Spirit. Lord, even if there's one word that you have for us, we know that one word can change our life and change our destiny. Lord, your words are living and active. They're sharper than a double-edged sword, that the heavens and the earth will pass away, but your word will never pass away. Uh, Lord, there'll be seasons, there'll be times, uh, uh, we're getting older, and uh, 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 the, 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 the grass fades, and the flower fades, the grass withers, but Lord, your word never, ever fades out or dulls out, and so God, we just thank you for this word. Uh, give us understanding, help us to receive it, and uh, we say, uh, yes, Jesus, uh, we receive your word, and it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things, and everyone said... Amen. Give someone a high five if you wouldn't have a seat, please. All right. <clears throat> All right. Um, the message this morning is entitled, We're Not Home Yet. We are not home yet. If you've got young people, little, little kids in particular, when you go on a long drive... Uh, they ask a question all the time, uh, it, it, depending on how long the drive is, and that question would be, are we, there are we there yet? Are we there yet? What's taking so long? And, you know, fortunately, we have things like little DVD players we can throw a movie or two on to distract them, and we have all kinds of little games that they play, and sort of all that stuff that we didn't have when we were growing up, by the way. We just had to sit out the window and be quiet. Mmm. Look at that. A road runner. Mmm. Smoke field, deuce and a quarter. Come on, man. <clears throat> How many of y'all know what a deuce and a quarter is? Oh, yeah. Ah, my dream car one day. Again, again. Anyway, it's funny. Um, Jesus, uh, if you've been with us through the book of Daniel, we're, 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 we're going to get through four verses today, so that's encouraging. And, and uh, you know, so on the one hand, I think, man, we've got to get through this stuff. And on the other hand, I think, hey, what's the rush, right? You know, I mean, if we're, if we're blessed, what if like the rapture happened right in the middle of our message, right? Wouldn't that be cool? The rapture happens, woo, and the church, you know, we gone up, caught up to meet the Lord. And unfortunately, maybe some folks will still be in here. But anyway, um, I, I, saw, I saw a flyer once at a church and it said, what to do in case you miss the rapture? Here's 10 things you need to do. I thought, woo, you know, someone runs to the church and they find a flyer, you know. Jesus is speaking about the tribulation period. It's a time of unparalleled destruction, unparalleled destruction. There's no Hollywood movie that could emulate what's going to happen in the end times. Uh, there's no way to, um, uh, uh, to even really properly conceive how bad it's going to be, in particular for Jewish people, for the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Speaking of this time in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, Jesus said this, and, and, you know, to understand um, uh, Daniel, you have to understand uh, uh, Jesus' words and you have to understand Revelation as well. Uh, because because uh, uh, Matthew, in particular Matthew 24 and, and the book of Revelation helped to unlock the book of Daniel. And so the Bible is really one book. It's one story and it's all interconnected. And if you want to connect the dots, you have to understand the perspective of the big book. And so we'll be going back and forth between Daniel, Matthew, and Revelation today. So Matthew 24, 15, speaking of this time, Jesus said... 
When you see the abomination of desolation which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Who is the abomination of desolation that will be standing in the holy place? Who is that? That's, that's the Antichrist, okay? That's what he's speaking about. So here Jesus is affirming the word in Daniel. See, Jesus is quoting from Daniel. Anytime Jesus quotes the Old Testament, you know, he's, he's verifying that that is in fact God's word. And so he says, let the reader understand, then those <clears throat> uh, who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Okay, verse 21 again, Jesus says that the tribulation that is yet to come will be such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world uh, until now, nor ever will. This is the greatest destruction that the planet Earth will ever see. There will be nothing that will even be remarkably or, 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 or closely related to how bad it will be. Verse 22, he says, Unless those days have been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. There's a timeline involved, and the Lord is in charge of that timeline. And he says that if that time wasn't cut short, then everything, the entire earth would be destroyed. Uh, but, but for the sake of the, the elect, for the sake of those uh, tribulation saints, there, there's a timeline. There's a timeline, okay? And so, Revelation chapter 12 um, uh, in particular, verse 13 through 17 and, and other parts as well help to describe this anger that's, that's unleashed upon the Jewish people. Uh, and in Revelation 12, you, uh, and, and in the book of Revelation, you read about uh, trumpets and seal judgments, bowl judgments, and, and that all help to describe this time. Uh, the Jewish people will be the targets of the devil's anger and his wrath. Uh, the Antichrist will join him in that. And uh, it'll be a time of great um, upheaval in the world. And their, their agenda will be to destroy uh, the Jewish people, the remnant that are, that are here uh, during, during the tribulation. In particular, the last portion. It's a seven-year timeline. And it's at that midway point that they recognize they've been deceived by the Antichrist. And as a nation, not every individual, but as a nation... Their eyes will be open to Jesus, Messiah, and, and they will embrace Him, Jesus, as Lord and Savior. Okay, so Revelation describes this time as a time of great war and famine, because you wonder, well, how bad can it really get? I mean, I mean, things are already pretty bad, aren't they? <laughs> no, no, yes, they may be, and, and, and that's not to minimize what you might be going through in your life right now, but what's going to come it will be like nothing that's ever happened, 25% of the world will be killed at one time. One-third of the earth, the sea, and the fresh water will be eliminated. Revelation speaks, speaks about demons being released, speaks about the Antichrist and his army slaughtering literally millions of people, sores breaking out over flesh, the sun literally scorching people to death, darkness covering the earth. 
Oh, it's going to be bad. Now, this time of great suffering is also tempered, as we've been reading in Daniel, uh, uh, with a promise uh, of hope uh, for those who are believers in that time. Jesus said that if, if, if God didn't intervene, the entire world would be destroyed. But he says God will intervene and, and there is going to be salvation for those who will, who will come to us. So even, even in, the, in the, the, the bleakest, darkest time of the world that is yet to come, there is still hope in Jesus. Amen? There, there is still hope. Uh, listen, God will not break His promise to Abraham. He will not. Um, the, uh, uh, Genesis says this. It says in Genesis 17, I will establish my covenant between uh, me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. Listen, God will not br- not, has not thrown away His covenant promises to Abraham. Uh, that there was one day be a people, uh, that there will one day be a Messiah that will be birthed out of, that, out of that people group, and that one day that Messiah would visit His people. Jesus has visited His people. He was, uh, uh, in nationally, in a nationalistic sense, He was rejected by His people, but He will come again, and their eyes will be open, and as Zechariah says, they will, they will look upon Me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn as one mourns for an only son. And, there, and, and what, a, what, a, what a remarkable time on earth it will be when, when Israel as a nation, and again, not every Israelite, but all of those who come to, who, to open their eyes to Jesus, what an amazing time it will be when the nation of Israel opens, their eyes are supernaturally opened up, and they receive Jesus as Messiah. I mean, how crazy will that be? You can applaud. That's a good thing, guys. I mean, come on. You know, you go to Israel now and it's not like that. You know, basically, I mean, more than anything, there are many, many atheists in Israel. People don't even believe in the, in the Word. And that's kind of hard to understand. It's like, dude, go down the street and dig. It's all right there. And yet, um, there will be a time where that veil will be lifted. You know, the Lord said He would bless those who would bless Israel. And He will curse those who will curse Israel. And uh, I just think that um, we ought to be doing everything we can to bless the nation of Israel. We ought to be doing everything we can to bless those people that we know, uh, those Jewish folk that do not know Messiah. We ought to be doing everything that we can to uh, uh, not only tell them uh, uh, who the Messiah is, but, but illustrate what the life of one whose life is ruled by the Messiah looks like. Uh, because you know what? That's a, that's, a, um, that's a seed of what's to come. I mean, I, I love messianic fellowships and I love Jewish ministries that, that reach out to Jewish people because they say, hey, there's going to be a time when the nation, in, 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 you know, not everyone again, but the nation will, their eyes will be open to Jesus and there are people who are sowing in the field right now, reaching Jewish people. And that's like a, that's a first fruits, that's a deposit of what is yet to come. Amen? Just like you. I mean, you, you might be the first fruit in your family, or you might be uh, the, the first fruits in, 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 at your workplace, or you might be, you know, you're the first of, of a generation that, that, will, that will follow the Messiah, that will follow Jesus. Hey, 
you know what? Uh, you've heard about generational curses, right? And about how, how there's these tendencies and these strongholds in our family. Well, all it does is take one person to come to know Jesus and that those generational curses or those tendencies are broken in the name of Jesus and it can set off something that, that goes not just, not just changes your life but changes the generations to come. Listen, will you be that person who will change the destiny of your family? Will you be that person? Will you be that person that will change the destiny of your children and your great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren? They'll look back at you and say, hey, there was a couple. There was a man, there was a woman in our lineage who came to know Jesus, and we're the fruits of that. We're the fruits of that. Will you be that person? Well, <sighs> let me talk about a kingdom, the kingdom of Christ. Again, Revelation chapter 20 speaks of the reign and rule of Christ on earth. And it even gives us a timeline, a thousand years. This is what it says in Revelation 20, verse 4 through 7. Did I mention we're in the book of Daniel this morning? Okay. It says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to, uh, to Jesus, and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. Hey, those are the tribulation saints. During that last, in particular, three and a half years, but during the seven-year time of the tribulation, but the last part in particular, those are those who give their life, who die at the hands of the Antichrist and his military regime. And, and, and they are specifically mentioned as those who didn't worship the beast, those who were beheaded for their witness for Jesus and for the word. They did not receive the mark of the beast and they lost their life for it. And then it says this, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Everybody say first resurrection. Okay. Blessed and holy is he who was part who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with Him a thousand years. That's called the millennial, the thousand millennial is what that word means, the millennial reign and rule of Christ on earth. Now there are those who are millennialists, and they sort of spiritualize these Old Testament prophecies um, of this Jewish kingdom and they sort of try to apply it to the church today. So they don't say, well, it's not going to be a literal thousand-year uh, kingdom. This, this is a, a, this kind of an allegory. They spiritualize it. Millennialists, which is what we are, uh, believe in the basic view that Scripture teaches a literal kingdom on earth with Jesus as king and people reigning with him. That was the Old Testament expectation. You see it all throughout that. <clears throat> the Father promised, a son, uh, promised the Son a kingdom. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 2, verse 7 says this, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Verse 8 says, Ask of me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. The apostles wondered when the kingdom would be ushered in. When is this going to start? In fact, they asked Jesus in Acts chapter 
1 verse 6, it says, Therefore they had come together, and when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What are they expecting? A literal kingdom on earth. And Jesus didn't say, you don't understand, there's not going to be a kingdom on earth. No, what he said was, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the, outer, and the ends of the earth or the outermost parts of the earth. And so Jesus is saying, hey, listen, don't worry about the kingdom and when that's going to be instituted. Be busy building people to prepare them for the kingdom. Uh, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So the answer to the question is don't worry about when the kingdom's coming. Get busy about what I've called you to do right now. And guess what? The more that you do that and the sooner we get busy with that, the quicker the kingdom will come. All right? For, uh, 2 Timothy 4.1 uh, Paul tells Timothy this, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and in the light of his coming and his kingdom. So that's the expectation. We believe that Christ will rule over the earth in a perfect sense, in a peaceful sense, and that God's elect those who survive the tribulation will become the first fruits of the first generation of those who will live in this thousand-year reign. Okay? So, the kingdom of Christ, the thousand-year reign of Christ. Now, let me talk to you about two resurrections. Everybody say, two resurrections. Okay. Here is the good news. Or it could be bad news. But it definitely is sad news. But not necessarily. Everybody dies. That's not shocking. You know that. Everybody dies at some point. Here's another fact. Everybody gets judged. Everybody. Here's another fact. Everybody will live forever. Everybody dies. Everybody dies. Ten out of ten people will die. Now, I know what you're thinking. Enoch didn't die. Okay, okay, okay. All right. Lazarus rose from the dead. Yeah, but then he died. <laughs> okay. Um, everybody gets judged. And then everybody will live forever. You ever think about that? You ever think about what does it mean to live forever? I know sometimes you think about it, I don't want to live forever because <laughs> we think about the context of life here on planet earth. Okay. John 5.25, Jesus said, For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation, everyone 
will live forever. Within you resides a soul. It's the seat of your identity. It's what makes you different than the person sitting next to you. Even identical twins are different from one another. Okay? And the soul is built for eternity. It will last forever. And so everyone will live forever. The question is where will they live forever? There's two places. There's two places. As we get older, um, we cling and we hang on to that hope of this resurrection. Uh, our bodies uh, groan for it. Uh, the older we get, the more we look forward to a new body. I remember it wasn't too long ago, we were walking up some stairs um, uh, with uh, my son and, and, uh, and he, he looked over at me with a smile on his face and says, Daddy, what's in your knees? <laughs> Making that cracking sound. <laughs> I said, well, I don't know, son. <laughs> I don't know. Time to get on the glucosamine sulfate, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. It says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 2. We grow weary in our present bodies. Anybody relate to that? It's like, man, this body, I'm getting, it's breaking down. And we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. Yeah, there's a, there's a heavenly body that we're going to get that will last forever. Okay? Now, back in Daniel chapter 12, <clears throat> just for a little bit of context, let's read verse Verse uh, 1 through 3, it says, Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Okay, so uh, Daniel again speaking about the tribulation time and how difficult it will be, but also giving that word of hope that... Um, Everyone who's found written that book will be rescued. Verse 2 says, And many who, uh, of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Those are the two options. Verse 3, And those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Okay. Some to everlasting life some to shame and everlasting contempt. The doctrine of the resurrection spoken about in the Old Testament, but clearly illustrated in the New Testament. Uh, a glorious new body for those in Christ whose uh, that body will uh, not be subject to the second law of thermodynamics. That body will not age. Uh, and those uh, will not have those general aches and pains that go along with it. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Hallelujah. That's a good time. Uh, the hope of the resurrection was why Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac because he believed that even if he did um, sacrifice his son, that God was able to resurrect him. Hebrews 11 tells us. Psalm chapter 49 verse 15 says, But God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol. He will receive me. Job chapter 19, 25 and 26 says, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last He will take His stand on the earth. Even if my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh, Job says, I shall see God. 
Yeah, the resurrection. The Bible speaks about two different resurrections um, that are not at the same time, but are separated by time. Okay? New Testament believers, the resurrection will happen after the rapture of the church. This is the first, the first resurrection. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 put it this way. All right? For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a loud cry of summons. This is the Amplified Bible. With the shout of the archangel, with the blast of the trumpet of God, and those who have departed this life in Christ will rise first. Those in Christ who have died will be the first to be resurrected. It says, then we, the living ones, and when the Apostle Paul said, we who remain or we, the living ones, they had every expectation that this would happen in their lifetime. And we who remain, because it could happen at any moment, and it's been 2,000 years and it hasn't happened yet. But we, the living ones who remain on earth, shall simultaneously be caught up along with the resurrected dead in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so always, through the eternity of the eternities, the Amplified Bible says, we shall be with the Lord. And then so Paul says, therefore, comfort and encourage one another with these words. So the first resurrection. After the first resurrection, there'll be a thousand year period and then a second uh, resurrection that we'll see in Revelation chapter 20. And so the two different options, those to everlasting life at the beginning of the millennium, that will include the tribulation and the martyred tribulation saints. During that first time period, Revelation 20, verse 4 through 6 again says it this way. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ. Who is that? These are the tribulation saints who seep and, and, and jump into the, uh, the, the millennial reign of Christ, that thousand-year reign of Christ, you have these tribulation saints who come in and they reign and rule with Christ. They lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And then it says, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. That's the first resurrection. So, Daniel says, some will be resurrected to shame and some to everlasting contempt. Those who die without faith in Christ will not be raised until after this kingdom age. Those who die without faith in Christ will not be resurrected till the end of the thousand year reign. Okay? Then they will be judged. Okay? This is what it says in Revelation 20, 11 through 15. It says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, whose from whose face the, uh, the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Okay? Uh, uh, make sure that you get that. Heaven is keeping track of everything. Everything. Do 
your words, your deeds, your actions, and your motivation behind those actions. Heaven is keeping track of everything. If you are not a follower of Christ, if you have not asked Jesus to forgive you your sins, you will pay for all of that. Your words, your thoughts, and your actions. Because heaven is keeping record of all of it. It says, And the dead were judged according uh, to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. It says, Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Hell is called the second death. Many believe when you die, that's it. That there's nothing beyond the grave. I would say, based on what truth do you say that? How do you know that to be true? Most people want to believe, or some people want to believe, that when you die, that's it. There's nothing beyond that because that sounds good. It, it, maybe that makes sense, or maybe it's the sense that, you know, the pain and suffering that I've gone through on this, my, this season of earth, I'll be done with it, and I don't have to worry about it anymore. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says differently. And there are those who I have heard with my own ears who said, no one knows what happens after we die. No one has ever come back to tell us. And I disagree with that. Jesus, tell, Jesus came back from the dead and he tells us what happens after death. Luke chapter 16, verse 29. There's a discussion that Lazarus is having with the rich man. Uh, with a with a uh, with a poor man, um, and he's in this place of torment. He he's in hell for for all intents and purposes. Uh, the poor man is not. He's in a place called Abraham's bosom. He's in a place called paradise. He's in he's in a place of rest and peace and and, and a place where, where God dwells. And 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 this is the conversation. It says, but Abraham said, Moses. And the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. Because he's saying, send someone to tell them about this place. And, and, the, and the answer from Abraham is like, hey, they have the word. All they got to do is read it. And, and, the, and the rich man replies and says, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. And Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even if someone rises from the dead. See, if you reject the Word of God, don't expect some supernatural sign to open up your eyes. God reserves the right to do that. He reserves the right to bring a supernatural sign. But in the context of this discussion, he says, even if someone rises from the dead. Wow. Because they've just got that rejection in their heart. And there are those who would say, well, you know, I don't believe in a place of eternal torment. 
Uh, maybe there's a place you go to and you're there for a little bit and sort of when you pay off your debt, then you get to come out and go be with everybody. Well, that doesn't, the Bible doesn't say that. I mean, that's wishful thinking to think that this is a temporary place and you, you sort of, you know, pay your debt there and, and, then, and then once you're done, and, you know, and somebody knows when that time is and some people might be there longer than others, I suppose, and some people may never, I mean, I mean, do you ever get out or, I mean, at what point are you done? And, and there's a belief that it's not forever, but you know what? Revelation 20.10 says this, then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet, and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. Um, theologian Walvoord said this, he says, there would be no way possible in the Greek language to state more emphatically the everlasting punishment of the lost than herein mentioned both day and night and the expression forever and ever, literally to the ages of ages. The... the, the the, the place of hell and the place of, of paying for your... You do not reach a point where you've, you've finally paid it off. Uh, it's not like a sentence, a five-year sentence or a 20-year sentence. It's, it's not even a life sentence. It's an eternal sentence. Because, because, it, it, because sins are not going to be forgiven in some place uh, of torment. <clears throat> the only place that sins are forgiven and we can choose to follow Christ and, and secure our name in that book of life is right here. And, and, and you have until you breathe your last breath and then the time expires. That's it. That's according to the Word of God. And you know, this is serious business. This, this is no joke. Man, I've done enough funerals in my time that you know what? If you don't have that assurance of Christ... If you don't know for sure that your, that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, let me tell you what, that's a tough funeral. What do you say about that? Do you lie? And do you say they've gone on to a better place when you don't know if they have or they haven't? I mean, do you hope that they've gone on? What do you say? How do you encourage people? You, you preach what the Word of God says and you don't talk a whole lot about where they may or may not be because you don't know. And that's a difficult time. You're absolutely exhausted when you have to do that because someone didn't take it seriously or someone didn't care or someone just couldn't get to Jesus or someone refused to come to Jesus and then there's relatives and all kinds of people who want to hear a good story and who want to know that their dearly departed has gone on to a better place and the truth of the matter is you don't know where they are Live your life in such a way that your funeral will be easy and the preacher won't have to lie. I'm not saying I would lie. I'm just saying I just would not focus on that. I have been guilty of not telling the truth at funerals in the past. I have been guilty of not telling the truth. And I'll never do it again. But 
room full of people and everybody wants to hear something good. There ain't nothing good to say. Judgment. Well, let's move on to reward, shall we? Can we, sh- can we, sh- can we sw- switch gears after that? You know, the Lord doesn't just leave it at judgment. There's opportunity too. Verse 3 and 4. Verse 3 and 4 says in, in Daniel 12, And those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This preacher who died and um, went to heaven, and when he got to the, to the gates, he looked around and noticed that there was a New York taxi cab driver uh, who was also in heaven, and it, and it bothered this preacher man that this taxi cab driver seemed to have more authority than he did, higher position, higher rank, that his mansion was bigger than his. So he went to Peter and he said, hey, Peter, what's up with this? I mean, I gave my life to uh, preaching the gospel and, and I, I, um, I, I shared Christ at every opportunity that I could. Um, and this cab driver has more position and more authority in heaven than I do. Uh, Peter said, hey, you know, slow down, slow down. He said, we reward here in heaven based on results. And whenever you would preach, a lot of people would fall asleep. But whenever this cab driver drove, people were busy staying awake and praying. (laughs) Speaks of those who are wise or those who have wisdom. Those who will preach the word and teach the word during the time of the tribulation. And in Revelation chapter 7, it speaks about 144,000 Jewish people that will be this end-time team of evangelists. Now, I know many, many religious groups claim to be the 144,000. Oh, that's us. It's like, that's, first of all, that's very prideful of you to claim to be that group when, first of all, you're not Jewish. <laughs> Just read what it says, Okay. Uh, and secondly, uh, you don't even believe in the real Jesus, but that's a whole other topic. You know, uh, you, know uh, you hear, oh, oh 144,000, that's us. Okay, stand in line with every other group that thinks they're the 144,000 too. You're not. Um, but they will go and they will lead this, um, this revival, these end-time Jewish evangelists. And it says those uh, who, who live in God's wisdom will shine could be a reference to them. It's a general reference to those who live in righteousness and those who shine. And it's a wise people among God's people that turn many to righteousness. And, and that it says that that brightness will, will last forever and ever. And, and that, that stirs our heart to think about the eternal and to think about that there's some sort of radiance that, that we might even have in, in heaven that a part of our our, our heavenly being might be that we would radiate the light of Christ. Now, some might be brighter than others. Who knows? But there's only one star in the kingdom. Uh, but to think about that is, is kind of interesting. You know, that how we live and serve the Lord in this life will determine the rewards we get at the judgment seat of Christ. Everybody gets judged. 
Those apart from Christ get judged for their sins. Those that are in Christ get judged for what they do for Christ while on this side of eternity. Your work gets evaluated. How faithful were you? How true were you to this calling of living in Christ or the specific call that the Lord has uh, on your life? Uh, Warren Worsby said this, Every cup will be full in heaven, but some cups will be larger than others. That was a good way to put it. Someone said this, if you, plant, if, you want to plant, if, if you want to plan something that'll last a year, plant a flower. If you want to plant something that will last a lifetime, plant a tree. If you want to plant something that'll last forever, plant the gospel in the heart of another human being and the light of Christ will shine through you. Verse 4 says, but as for you, Daniel... Conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Now in ancient time, documents, ancient documents were ratified with two different documents. One was sealed and kept in a safe place and another would be available for people to read. So God wanted His Word kept as a guarantee that He would fulfill it and he wanted his word available so that others would be able to read it and receive comfort and peace by it. Uh, it was to be sealed until the time of the end. And the full meaning of what Daniel wrote would not be fully understood until the time of the end. Uh, we get to the book of Revelation and we have much more understanding of Daniel because of Revelation. We have the teachings of Jesus that we read and then we understand much more of the teachings of Daniel. Interesting, though, interestingly, in the book of Revelation, John was told to keep the book unsealed because it was time. There was a, there was, people were to, were to, were to receive understanding from the book of Revelation because the revelation of God through His Word was complete. And now He says, alright, don't seal it up. Leave it that people could read it. You have the whole picture now. It turns out that we need revelation to understand Daniel. We need Daniel to understand Matthew so that it's all together as one book. Seventy-one passages from Daniel are quoted or referenced in the New Testament. Seventy-one. The New Testament unlocks the Old Testament. The New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And then he says this, he says, <clears throat> he says, many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Many will run to and fro and, and knowledge will increase. Well, what's that a reference to? Sir Isaac Newton, who was a Christian, said this, personally, I cannot help but believe that these Words refer to the end of times. Men will travel from country to country in an unprecedented manner. There will be inventions which will enable people to travel much faster than they do now. That was written about 1680. He would go on to say that it was his belief that man at one day would be able to travel maybe upwards of 50 miles an hour. Whew. 80 years later... Uh, the deist Voltaire said this, See what a fool Christianity makes of an otherwise brilliant man. 
Here a scientist like Newton actually writes that men may travel at a rate of 30 or 40 miles per hour. Has he forgotten that if a man would travel at this rate, he would be suffocated and his heart would stand still? Yeah, be careful what you say. People write this stuff down, right? Well, I think that more so than just the idea of, of knowledge increasing and, and men going back and forth, speaking of travel and maybe even speaking of technology, more than that, uh, according to a couple of uh, theologians, Wood says the idea is that people would run about trying to find answers to important questions, especially in reference to future events. Newell said this, that the common sense is that many will search it through and through and that as a consequence, knowledge of the book itself uh, shall be increased. In, in the end times, people uh, can increase their knowledge of what's going on by studying God's Word. There will be a, a, a desire to learn more and a desire to even understand ancient texts like the book of Daniel in light of what's happening in, in, uh, uh, in, in the current times. Well, it was an aging missionary who had spent 40 years in the mission field that were on their way back to England. And it turned out that the Queen of England was on the same ship. She was returning from a, a royal visit. And the husband looked around and they were on the opposite end of the ship. And as, as the ship uh, came in, the, she was greeted by a, 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 a band and... and Flashes all over the place as cameras were taking pictures. The crowds were cheering. Everybody was, was uh, scampering to get a look at, at the Queen of England. And the husband mumbled and said, You know, we've, we've been laboring all these years for the Lord, yet this woman merely inherits a throne and half the country turns out for her honor. And then gently his wife touched him on the shoulder and reminded him, But dear, we're not home yet. We're not home yet. Yeah. <clears throat> Joshua, if you'd make your way on up, brother. Before we take of our missions offering this morning, I want you to prepare your hearts for that. And I want to just sort of close up my time before Joshua prays with us and receives that. <clears throat> I don't know what you believe about what happens when you die. I don't, I don't know. And so I would just like to present a challenge to you that if this book is real and if in fact everyone dies and that everyone will be judged and that everyone will live forever if, if in fact that's true, then what about you? What about you? The reason that we must pay for our sin eternally is because God cannot have sin in His presence. He cannot. Because He is a just God and a righteous God, He cannot just disallow sin and say, well, it must be paid for. Somebody does something against you and that person ends up before a judge. You want justice. How much more the ultimate judge who 
desires that we don't end up in hell, which was designed for Satan, the Antichrist, demons. It was designed for that. But man, by his own choice, chooses to go there by rejecting the one way out, Jesus, who said he was the way, the truth, and the life. And you cannot get to heaven but by him. And I'd just like to close in prayer, at least my portion, and say that this might be your day to say, you know what? I need Jesus in my life. I, there's maybe, if, there's a, if there's a turning in your heart and you just feel like, you know what? That's what I need. I, I, I understand I need that. I know it. I need Christ. I don't want to die uh, and, and, and go to hell for all eternity. Uh, because of pride, because of selfishness, because, I, because I'm just so filled with myself. I have no room for God because I've got it figured out because I don't believe what the book says. You have a choice to agree or disagree. And what you decide to do with Jesus will determine where you spend eternity. Okay? And if that's your heart, I want to pray with you briefly. If you would just bow your heads with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your word this morning. Give us an understanding of what it means and help us to live in light of eternity. Because everyone lives forever. Lord, I pray that you would uh, open hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit right now. And that as Saul had the scales that fell from his eyes, that if there are scales that need to fall from eyes and, 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 a, and a darkness over a heart, God, that it would, it would be removed now in the name of Jesus. And if you feel in your heart that that's, that word this morning was for it's no accident that you're here that God wanted you to hear this and understand that death takes everyone down. And it's a serious matter. And it's such a profound thing to simply change your destiny. But you must agree with God that you are indeed guilty. You must confess and say, I've done, Lord, I've trashed your name. I've disregarded your word. I've lived for myself. It's been all about me. And I want to change that right now. And whether you've been in church for a, a day or uh, 10 years or 30 years or you grew up in the church, but now you would say, you know what, seriously, Lord, I want this and just not for fire insurance, but because my heart needs to be transformed and I realize only you can do it. And I agree with you, God. And if that's you, would you raise your hand? I just want to pray with you and agree with you in prayer. Anybody at all in this room that would say, yes, Lord, that's me. I want to give you that opportunity. Anybody at all? Yes. God sees your hand over there. God bless you.